At one point during the design phase of the Nintendo 64, engineers at Nintendo were faced with a choice. What kind of media to use in our new 64-bit system? Do we use CDs, which was quickly becoming an emerging technology, which can hold a lot of data? Or do we go back to cartridges, the old tried-and-true method that has been used since the 1970s? Or was there another possibility? Of course, we now know that they chose cartridges for the Nintendo 64, but while researching, they found another storage technology. And this one, they said, would allow them to create new genres of games. That became the 64DD, which released in December of 1999. It was an add-on peripheral for the Nintendo 64. We'll talk about all the technology that went into it, what they hope to create, and more on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and or good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 120th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It could be a game, a console, a person, a technology, just something that is relevant to the week in which this episode has been published. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at the Nintendo 64DD, a peripheral add-on for the Nintendo 64 console. The Nintendo 64DD was released on December 13, 1999, 23 years ago this week. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who, with just a few words each week, is just as dynamic as the disk drive. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how do you do it? Well, Dave, sometimes you just need a little shock to get you refreshed, you know? Shocking. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, shocking. I gave you so many ups, and you're going to take the shocking, the, the electricity way out? Okay. Well, I mean, <clears throat> naturally, there's a reason that I enjoy electronics so much, because that little zap just gets, makes you feel alive. It's a big zap sometimes. Indeed, and those are the ones that sometimes make you feel unalive. <laughs> that, that they do. They definitely do. Oh my goodness, do they? Whatcha playing? Well, Dave, this last week has seen a little bit of Rocket League, a little bit of RuneScape, uh, probably did some Warzone in there, I'm sure, some Tarkov, and finally finished Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I have to play that because we were scheduled to do an episode on it, and I've never played it, and I didn't finish it for the episode, so I cha- it's the only time we've ever changed an episode topic on the calendar is for that one. I think I did a canceled because I canceled the topic. I did canceled video games like an episode on it instead, but I've still never gotten back to finishing KOTOR. Was it worth the run? Uh, I'm actually strongly considering doing an opposite side run of the game just to see the different ending. 
Nice. So yeah, I would definitely say that it was worth it if I'm considering a replay Very already. Nice. Well, and hopefully they remake it and they do it justice too. So indeed. But what about yourself, Dave? How's this week been for you in gaming way? Rocket League, Warzone. Did we do some Risk of Rain in there? Maybe not. I don't think it was this week now. Um, I'm playing Immortality. Um, I think that's it, though. Never heard of it. It's, um, you ever heard of Her Story? I've heard of History. No, no, no. Anyways, it's, um, they're like full motion video games where you manipulate clips to solve a mystery. And this one is about, this one's where you like look at the, an actress's last three movies to find out what the heck happened to her. So <clears throat> interesting. I mean, it, it did, is. Did she become an actress? She did. Yes, she did. And then she wasn't an actress. I, I, no. I'm not going to give it away. I mean, it's pretty, it, it's, each of the games has like a gimmick or they don't, but they're, this one's interesting. This one's fun. This one, when you learn what's going on, it's fun to scrub through the clips because the movie clips can change when you figure out what's going on and what you're looking for. And so like digging through all this footage and finding out how to get it to flip on you so you can learn the actual story is really cool. Actually, 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 it really is cool. Right on, Dave. So we're learning about an add on today for the Nintendo 64 called the Nintendo 64 DD, which is the dynamic drive. So the Nintendo 64 was announced. We kind of talked a little bit about that recently. It was announced, I think, circa 1993, if I'm not mistaken. And it was Nintendo was partnering with a company called SGI. We learned a little bit about SGI last week when we talked, not last week, a few weeks ago when we talked about Donkey Kong Country. Um, so they're in all these meetings with SGI, you know, around that time. And it comes to the point in which that they have to figure out all the other pieces of the console because the SGI is the chip, you know, your graphics chip, your processor, things like that. But you still have to figure out what what in the heck am I going to put the games on now? Everything up until this point was a cartridge, Um, you know, the NES, the SNES, the Game Boy, the Genesis, you know, everything. We talked about the first system with the cartridge, the Fairchild Channel F. The Atari cartridges were the thing. But the mid-90s is roughly about when CDs were becoming a thing. Now, if you'll recall, this is the generation with Nintendo 64. is also the generation with the Sony PlayStation. Of course, Sony was going with a CD. And up until that point, we hadn't seen very many CD systems. We had seen, uh, what, the Jaguar, the Sega CD... That maybe was it. 3DO, I think, was 95, so it would have been mixed in there. Point is, the CDs were just becoming a thing. So CDs were one of the things that... um, One of the things Nintendo was looking at. On the other hand, they had the cartridges. And then here in the middle, they kind of had the dynamic disk drive. 
So believe it or not, the Nintendo 64 DD was actually announced in 95 prior to the Nintendo 64 being released in 96. They kind of knew that they were going to do this before the system even came out. It is, for all simplicity's sake, a magnetic floppy disk drive that plugs into the Nintendo 64. Uh, Wow. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you think about that, that we were at a time period where we were going, hmm, cartridges, CDs? Nah, floppy disks. Yeah, that's... Now, to be fair, it's more akin to a zip disk. Do you remember zip disks at all? I know what a zip file is. Never heard of a zip disk, though, to be fair. So zip zip disks were high capacity floppy disks. Basically, they were large. They were bulky. They were somewhere in between like a cartridge and a disk. They were kind of the thing for a little while before CDs just came and took everything over. it's, It's more akin to a zip disk than what we think of as a floppy disk. But they're the both technologies are magnetic floppies. They're just different forms of it, and zips are zips were bigger. Yeah, we had these special drives called zip drives and all this fun stuff. They were they, they, basically the technology itself compressed the files and put them on a floppy, like a, a bigger capacity floppy disk. Okay. And then when CDs came out, that was it. it I mean, we had it for a year, maybe two. I don't. I don't know. I should look that up sometime. But we had all these different technologies. So realistically, when they were looking at the N64, which was called Project Reality at the time, you know, they kind of started to narrow down and look at CDs. In 94, Howard Lincoln, who was the chairman of Nintendo of America at the time, said, right now, cartridges offer faster access time and more speed of movement and characters than CDs. So we'll introduce our new hardware with cartridges, but eventually... These problems with CDs will be overcome. When that happens, you'll see Nintendo using CDs as the software storage medium for our 64-bit system. So 94, you know, they had kind of decided, they looked at all these options and kind of decided that cartridges were going to be what it was going to be for the N64, but they were open to using CDs as... They were open to using CDs as the medium for the, the this this add-on. So going into here, that's kind of what people thought was that you know maybe we were going to finally see a Nintendo CD, which essentially is how the the Sony PlayStation got its start. If you'll recall, I know we haven't done the episode on it before, but we talked about it. Sony and Nintendo were going to make the console together like a SNES system that used CDs. And Nintendo backed out, and Sony said, "Well, f you, then I'll build my own system, and that's the PlayStation." So, yeah, but let's also think about Nintendo's actual foray into CDs. They they kind of made them very tiny. <laughs> they did when oh. they when when they <laughs> finally got around to using a, a optical disc based media, which they did first with the GameCube. It was not quite what we think of as a traditional CD. So I will 100% give you that. So people are excited for the Nintendo 64 and this add-on, which they're kind of alluding might be CDs because that's technology they're looking at. And then word gets out that Nintendo is also trying to, like they're meeting with Netscape, which was an early online company. 
Now, the founding management of Netscape had come from SGI, where they, you know, that that was the company that designed the hardware that was found in the N64. So they already had a relationship. And what was coming out of these meetings was getting people excited because what they were going to use as part of this add-on was multiplayer online gaming. In fact, it was coming out, Nintendo was going to consider multiplayer online gaming a priority. So, as a result, a lot of companies, developers, really were considering, they were, they were looking to change up their development for their N64 games. Um, they started planning extensive online features. They started, um, you know, looking at technology using the bigger media, because the one thing the CDs had was the CDs were bigger than all the cartridges and the disk drives. Um, so everyone started planning, you know, with this little bit of information that came out. But as the design of this add-on progressed, none of these concepts actually came into fruition. You know, in as Nintendo was looking for the options between the cartridge and the CD, they stumbled on this middle ground, which became the Nintendo 64 DD. Um in an interview back then with Nintendo game designer Shigesato Itoi, he explained, CD holds a lot of data, DD holds a moderate amount of data and backs the data up, and cartridges hold the least data and process the fastest. So what Nintendo essentially decided was that they wanted to use the middle ground and, and they wanted to use a dynamic disk drive as an add-on instead. Wasn't as fast as cartridges but it held more and it was rewritable, but it wasn't hold, didn't hold as much data as a CD. It was all the way in the middle. Everything was absolutely in the middle. And even worse, that internet deal that they planned with Netscape, that never panned out. If there's anything we know about Nintendo and, and it's 2023, 23 years late. We're 20. No, we're 2022, but we're 23 years later. Right. I think we can still all say that online multiplayer gaming isn't really a Nintendo priority, right? That's just that's just not what they're yeah, known for. Their their games have online multiplayer, but I think for most of them, like that infrastructure comes from the games and not from Nintendo. Unlike <coughs> Microsoft, which has the xbox live and the game pass and then playstation which has the playstation network nintendo maybe now has nintendo online but it came way later than everyone else and it definitely never really feels like they emphasize that as a selling point like microsoft and sony does is that fair yeah i can definitely say that's fair okay all right um so yeah so they get out of the gate with just before the Nintendo 64 comes out like a year prior and they say, Hey, we're working on these cool things. We're, we're thinking about using CD. So lots of data and we're thinking about prioritizing online multiplayer gaming. And then, you know, Nintendo makes a design and essentially what they came up with was the magnetic disk drive. Oh, I remember I was sitting here going, I know I'm forgetting something. Also to be fair, the um, manufacturing cost of the disk drives was the least expensive of the bunch, which let's be honest, it probably had a lot to do with why they made the decision too. So 
Yeah, uh, especially considering they had no idea if it would be successful. You know, it's one of those things like, are people really going to be interested in it? Well, let's be fair. Nintendo prints money. That's what they're known for. Uh, yeah, even, you got a point. Even when they fail, and we've talked about failures like the Nintendo... Um, like the Nintendo uh, Virtual Boy, for instance. We did an episode on Virtual Boy before. Even when they fail, it's like a hiccup. We we never talk about failure as Nintendo's going down. Nintendo always finds a way to print money. So, um, but that's yeah, been that's, that's pretty undeniable. That's there. that's been their history, though. We you know we <laughs> we talked about that from the beginning when they had uh, the failed arcade Silent Scope, I think it was called. And what they decided to do with that? Well, they decided to ask someone to make a conversion for the cabinet. That conversion was Donkey Kong. And that ended up being one of the largest arcade cabinets of the golden age of arcades. That enabled that enabled Nintendo to make money, to print money hand over foot, which inarguably funded the NES development. And now here we are. They seem to always find a way to turn lemons into lemonade i guess um sure yeah i mean yeah if you want to put it that way i don't know i think they'd do something cooler than that but i guess so they lemon meringue pie ah it's well they probably did and then they charge a hundred bucks for it so damn straight a nintendo (laughs) way (laughs) so it came out right they Announced it to the world at a trade show in 1995. No information behind it. No specifications. No lineup. Barely anything. One magazine, I think it was Edge Magazine, wrote that they were told they were told to be launched in late 97. Nintendo's internal development teams were working on sequels for Super Mario 64 and Zelda 64, neither of which had come out yet. Like, might, might I add, because they were, well, 64 titles and Nintendo 64 also hadn't come out yet. And then there were a few originals in there called Cabbage and Emperor of the Jungle. But really, there was nothing. Uh, very few details that were officially given out. Dude, Cabbage is a banger. Cabbage is a banger. Hell yeah, you didn't see the leaked gameplay? No, 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 no. What the hell? I don't think there is any. I know. (laughs) A 64 DD prototype was shown in a glass case, but it was obvious that it wasn't operational. And there was a makeshift demonstration of Zelda 64, which was said to be running from a disc. In case you're wondering what the hell is Zelda 64, it was eventually released as Ocarina of Time. Zelda 64 was its, its project development title. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes more sense now. And then after the trade show, the 64DD just became a problem. On May 30th, 1997, it was delayed and rescheduled to March of 1998 in Japan. Not even an inkling of when it was going to come over to the United States. More delays came later. Uh, June of 1998, Japan. Then finally they said it would come even later in the United States. In April of 1999, it was delayed till June of 1999. In August of 1999, they said December of 1999. And then it finally came out to the world on December 13th, 1999. 
And to be honest with you, Rob, it was completely doomed from the start. Why is that, Dave? Well, I mean, let's be honest. It had been delayed so much that people just didn't have faith in it. I think one magazine I read called it the vaporware of all vaporware. Um, retailers didn't want to stock it because people didn't want it. Why waste your precious shelf space on a product that you think isn't going to sell? And so right off the bat, it was sold mostly through mail a mail order subscription plan alongside its online service because it did actually come with an online service and so they sold it as like a bundle with the like you could pay like you know x amount of dollars a month and it was your subscription to the online service and your monthly fee for the system all all bundled in one big thing like a cell phone plan or something so oh um, that doesn't this, seem terrible with that kind of. I mean, I guess you got to do what you got to do, and they came up with a good strategy, even no, though it still ultimately didn't work. But well, but there are reasons for that. Let, let's start by saying it didn't sell well. Um, we don't actually know sales numbers, but at one point they did announce how many subscribers there were losing access to the service when they shut it down, uh, and at that time there were fifteen thousand. Uh, subscribers so we know they sold at least 15,000 units that's about it that's all we know I mean that's that's a number that's a number eight months later in August of 2000 Nintendo announced the GameCube and that was just that was it that was it with that announcement IGN made an article they called the 64 DD the dead DD like D-E-A-D-D ha 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 in, in October 2000, Nintendo announced that they would be discontinuing the 64DD, and in February of 2001, it was discontinued. So all in all, Nintendo only supported it for 14 months. And it never did make it stateside. It came out in Japan and it flopped so hard that it was obvious there was no point bringing it stateside. It, it, it is a Japan-only release. I don't know. I think it might have done really well over here. I mean, if they made it cheap enough, Americans love cheap junk. That we do. <laughs> Ain't no denying that, man. Now, I would like to say there was some merit to the system. You know, Nintendo had really hoped to do some new things with the technology they had put into it. Like I said, it had internet connectivity. That was uh, that was something. Not not the newest. You know, we, we actually talked about the Satellaview which was an add-on for the Super Nintendo with some internet connectivity. But, you know, they this this was a, a, another attempt at that. Um, the 64DD also had a real-time clock built in. That's something that is pretty standard in systems now, but it didn't exist before this peripheral. It's the first time that a Nintendo system at least had it. Oh, I want to say any system, but at least a Nintendo system. You're most familiar with the GameCube, and that definitely had a real-time clock built in. So um, and I'll get to that in a moment. And, of course, the floppy disks were cheaper than cartridges, so they could be written over. So there was all these cool things they thought that you could do with that. You know, when we compare it to the PlayStation, which, the as we know, the PlayStation uses CD-ROMs, you had to buy memory cards because you, when that technology first came out, it it didn't go both. It wasn't like read-write CDs. It was read-only CDs. And so in order to save your games, 
before they started including hard drives and all these modern systems, we had to buy separate memory cards for the systems. But with the DD, they could write the save and the cartridges, the save files could be rewritten to a chip right on these devices. So there was merit there. You know, you could add things, change things, same things. Um, and that real-time clock was going to let them work on some cool features too. Cabbage, the game that Rob has magically seen footage of, was actually a breeding simulator, like a Tamagotchi. So you could raise, feed, and carry around a creature called a cabbage, and it would be able to live and grow and do things when you weren't playing, thanks to that real-time clock. That was the original Nintendog, huh? I'll, you know what? We'll come, we'll come back to that. It, it you you might be right I, i'm gonna talk about i'm gonna talk about the games and and what they turned into because a lot of the games from this did turn into other things so oh fancy that but cabbage never happened and let's talk about the internet connectivity and what it did have like i said we talked about the Satellaview before we did that in episode 87 that was an online service for the super nintendo that partnership with st giga fell through and so nintendo this time tried to partner with a company called recruit and the online service for the nintendo dd is called RanNet, which is a portmanteau we learned about that word it's when you put two words together like podcast RanNet is a portmanteau of recruit and nintendo and when people bought it with this mail-on service as the RANNET, they called it the RANNET bundle, uh, it came with a dial-up modem that you could use to connect to the service. Uh, that included the subscription fee, and that was supposed to cover the service, and that there would be a series of games that would be delivered by mail. Now, RANNET had a built-in browser. It That browser had some neat features. There was an editing tool where you could create custom avatars, there was an information exchange, which were basically online message boards and emailing. There was a community section where you could swap messages with um, the theory was game programmers and producers. We call those Steam uh, message boards now. Internet surfing. It had its own custom web browser built in. There was a postcard section where you were able to design and print postcards with some of the other software that we'll talk about in a second. There was a shop where you could buy CDs, books, games, and other peripherals and have them sent to your house. And then there was a like news section which had sports scores, weather, news. Uh, but in the end, they only got around to releasing news about horse racing on it. I don't know why. Horse racing. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> that must have been very popular. Well, and then they had other things planned. They were going to put a section called the beta section, which was going to be all demos. And they actually announced and planned an NES emulator and they built it, but they never got to release it before the, the internet service was defunct. And that's probably what they used in the Wii and the, um, the switch as the NES emulator, you know? So, well, damn. Now, the Nintendo 64 DD only had 10 discs released for it in that 14 months. There are only 10 games. It's actually nine games and one utility disc that were released in total. That's the entire game library of the Nintendo 64 DD. And I thought that we could. I mean, it's 10 games. Let's look at them. OK, let's look at Mo them. almost half of them were from something called the Mario Artist Suite, which we've actually talked about before. Now, the utility disc 
was part of that. It was a communication kit, or maybe it was the RANnet disc. Anyways, there was a communication kit in Mario Artists that uh, was a disc that allowed people to connect to the, the, the internet service, and you could share your creations in this Mario Artist suite. Now, we've come across the Mario Artist suite before on a title called uh, Mario Artist Paint Studio because it was a successor to Mario Paint, which we did an episode on previously. You had different brushes and textures and stamps where you could paint, draw, and you could animate things, actually. Mm. It had all these Nintendo graphics that you could you could use to do things when there was all 151 Pokemon Rob. Oh, damn. Banjo-Kazooie was part of it. Diddy Kong Racing characters. It had all these like stickers that you could play with. Um, and, and that game, the art studio, paint studio came with the the Nintendo 64 actually had a mouse, actually had a mouse made for it. And they bundled that game, you know, paint studio with the mouse. And that was actually one of only two titles that were released on the day of its launch. There were only two launch titles within the 1064 DD. You could also, as a side note, the Nintendo 64 also had a capture cartridge basically it was a peripheral that let you plug plug your your nintendo 64 into like a video camera and record record images or movies onto a videotape too and then it had many games there was a fly swatting game there was kind of a pokemon snap like an early rudimentary pokemon snap deal it had many games built into it too one of the other parts of Mario Artist was called Talent Studio. This is where that six that capture cartridge that would plug into video cameras it came with this actually, uh, and that Mario Talent Studio is a animation studio. Basically, it lets the user insert captured images like pictures of your face onto 3D models, which had been made with another part of this, which would make 3D models, and then you could dress up the models. Uh, using their assortment of clothes and accessories, then you could animate the models with sound, music, and special effects. That sounds pretty damn uh, in-depth for something from right? Nintendo. Right. I, I, I agree. I thought that something like that was a thing. Now, I mean, these are basic polygons, but like, like I mean, if you think about what polygons look like in, in Mario 64, this is what we're talking but I mean, still cool, huh? No, absolutely. That's that's kind of huge. Kind of a shame that that one did never got happened. Well, at least not at the time. Just kind of, sorta did with Mario Maker. So, according to an interview with Shigeru Miyamoto, who we know, Talent Studio became a GameCube prototype called Stage Debut. And Stage Debut used the Game Boy Advance's GameEye camera, and it linked to the GameCube via a cable, and it would let people map self-portraits of players onto their character models. Now that feature, at one point, was actually publicly demonstrated with models of Miyamoto and uh, Satoru Iwata, who eventually became the present Nintendo. But Stage Debut was also never released. However... It's character design features that were made that were put in the stage debut became the character design features that became the me, the me channel 
and the features of games that featured the me like Wii Sports, tennis, etc., etc., etc. So, I had a feeling it was the Mies. Yep. So Talent Studio became the Mies. Now the 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 cup the the 3D models could be made with a, one of the other Mario artists called Polygon Studio. Polygon Studio was simply a 3D computer graphics editor that let you make polygon images. Um, it had some mini games in it. Um, in Polygon Studio, you could create. The, and this is a an interview from Goro Abe of Nintendo R and D One. He said in Polygon Studio, you could create 3D models and animate them in the game, but there was also a side game included inside. In this game, you would have to play short games that came one after another. This is where the idea for WarriorWare came from. So there you go. So WarriorWare was Polygon Studio. And those discs, the communication kit, the paint studio, the talent studio, and the Polygon Studio, that made up the entirety of the artist suite. They had planned on other tools. We don't know much about them. They were just announcements. But their names, they were going to make a game maker, graphical message maker, a sound maker, and a video jockey maker. So it sounds like they were making all these tools around it to the point where you could make your own games inside this Mario Artist Suite. That's what it sounds like. And they were really just trying to recruit the next level of game developers. Maybe. Now, I said on launch day there were two launch games. Let's talk about the other one. The Mario Artist Suite was one of them. The other launch game disc, actually Mario Paint. It was Paints. The others came out earlier. But um, the other launch game disc was a game called Doshin the Giant. Um, well, that's an interesting name. Well, Doshin is a god simulation game. Oh. Um, so it's gameplay. Like re- <laughs> no, like um, black and white or populous. It's, nope. ga- it's gameplay revolves around typical godlike ability and tasks, such as altering the geography, managing natural disasters, or answering prayers from your worshippers. Um, its designer re- re- described it as populous meets Mario. So basically, you control Doshin, um, and he you have the option of either helping or hindering your people. Um, doing so causes them to release love or hate, which you absorb as Doshin. Um, if he gets enough of one or the other, he grows in size. If he is happy, he's the love giant, a yellow featureless giant with a happy face and a few strands of hair. Um, he does benevolent actions who is helpful to his people and he earns love from them. Um, if he does the bad things, he turns into his evil, evil alter ego, Joshin, who's called the hate giant. Joshin is a destructive force. The natives, he does bad things and the people show him dislike, which causes him to increase in size. So Doshin was actually a giant hit in Japan. It actually peaked at one point as the number one game in Japan but not until it was released for GameCube in 2002. I didn't even know about it then. I know. It It was actually Japan's ninth best-selling game of the entirety of 2002. Rob, the only way you may have stumbled across Doshin, he's one of the trophies in Smash Brothers Melee, so you've probably actually seen him before. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, Joshin does make sense, because I know that that's like uh, Wicked Heart or Evil God. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, I'd never heard of Doshin. I wonder if that's actually like a thing. Well, one of the discs that 
of the 10 was actually an expansion disc for this game. And I don't get these translations sometimes. But the title of the expansion roughly translates to Tinkling Toddler Liberation Front! Exclamation mark, assemble! Exclamation mark. That's a perfect game title, especially with the exclamation point. <laughs> Tinkling Toddler Liberation Front! Assemble! That's like the off-brand Avengers. That's exactly... <laughs> See, off-brand Avengers. Tinkling Toddler Liberation Front. TTLF. We should start a clan that's TTLF. Oh, man. In TTLF, Doshin is in prison, and a child gets pulled into his world of dreams, where he can tinkle 2D hearts on people and the giant. And I guess what this does is it causes, like, the whole goal of it is to cause Doshin to grow larger than his prison cage and burst free. By tinkling on people. Uh, tinkle? It may be a weird translation. You know, I, I, I try Wikipedia and translating pages and stuff, and the, 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 it translates to tinkle. Uh, I didn't see gameplay, so I'm not sure. Like, we think of tinkling as urinating. I'm not sure if that's literally what it is, but, I, I mean, I'd like to think so. I would imagine so. So the Nintendo 64 DD, Rob, had one other building game in its library. Oh, yeah? What game is that, Dave? SimCity 64. Ooh. Which is really obscure because it was never released anywhere but here on the Nintendo 64 DD. And fun little fact, it was actually developed by Hell Laboratories. We've oh. Yeah, we've heard of them before. We've done episodes and talked about Hell. They created Kirby. We did it. We learned about them for the Earthbound series and the Super Smash Brothers series. Um, and they also made a few weird entries in the Pokemon franchise. Like, they're responsible for Pokemon Snap. So, I think we learned about them in detail when we did Earthbound. So, check that episode out. Yeah, I forget if it was that or Smash Bros. One of the yeah. two. Now, this game features, I think, yeah, anyways, this game features elements from the Super Nintendo SimCity, so we pretty much think it was intended to be a sequel, but it also boasts some cool features that weren't found in other SimCities at the time. Um, for instance, you could view your city at night. That didn't happen for quite a... Like, I think SimCity 4 might have been the first time that happened, because at the time the PC was SimCity 3000. That definitely wasn't a three, SimCity 3000 feature. Um you could also roam your city like walking through it as a pedestrian and the roads had cars and other pedestrians. That is another feature that came later on in the series. So it was pretty cool. Um, they were actually also working on a 64 DD version of Simcopter, but they never decided not to finish it and they integrated its elements into this game instead. Um, one of the... Other titles in the library was Japan Pro Gold Tour 64. Um, it, it came like a month, maybe two, before the 64DD was discontinued. So it didn't have a lot of time at shelves. They didn't make a lot of copies. That makes it a collector's item. It's, it's rare. Copies of it go online um, regularly for over $3,000. That's what the article I read said. Let's see what they go on eBay right now for. I was going to say that. That's all fine and dandy, Dave. But what's the game about? Oh, it's just a golf game. That's about oh. it. I kind of had a feeling. Oh, you said pro gold or is it pro golf tour? Pro golf. 
Oh, the Pro Golf Tour. That makes a lot more sense than the Pro Gold Tour. And actually, uh, it doesn't have any copies listed online when I just search for... Oh, let's search for golf. I mistyped. That's why I mistyped and I misread. I'm not perfect, I promise. Pro Golf Tour. One copy online right now. $5,260.74. Holy shit. I expected it to be like a hundred bucks. All honesty, I expected no one to give a crap and it not to be anything. It that is impressive. <clears throat> also, the last disc that came out for it—not the last disc. The last disc was Pro Golf Tour, but the last one we're going to talk about. They actually released an expansion for F Zero X, and it was only Ooh. released for the sixty four DD. Um, it had 12 new tracks. It had a machine a machine creator, a course editor, and new soundtracks. You could also create your own custom cup. And the course editor was actually kind of cool. You could add half pipe cylinders, flip zones, and then you could run your own courses and make your own cups with it. So it was kind of cool. That does sound pretty damn awesome. Um, but yeah, it only, I mean, F0X, of course, was a Nintendo 64 title, but this expansion was only, was only Nintendo 64 DD. Um, yeah. Now, there were a lot of other games that were announced or planned to, you know, for the Nintendo 64 DD, um, but most of them were taken elsewhere. Like, for instance... There was going to be a Diablo for this system, and they just flat out canceled a port of it. Um, and I'll go through some of them. Derby Stallion 64 was planned for the Nintendo 64 DD. It was eventually released as a plain cartridge game. Is that just like horse racing? Yes. Hmm. Dragon Warrior 7 was planned for the Nintendo 64 DD. When it was canceled, they ported it and only released it on the Sony PlayStation. Far East of Eden, Oriental Blue, was turned into a Game Boy Advance game of the same name. Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, only released, uh, re remade as a cartridge. Mario Party 2, originally a 64DD game, re-released as a cartridge. Um, Mother 3, or Earthbound 64, never came over to stateside. Uh, canceled. Never never came to states. Eventually released as Mother 3 for the Game Boy Advance in Japan a few years later. Um, Mysterious Dungeon, originally a 64DD game. Converted to cartridge in 2000. Canceled, then released on Nintendo DS. That's interesting, huh? Yeah, it really is. Wow. Animal Forest. We know that name because we did an episode. Nope. Doesn't yep. ring a bell. Canceled. Came out as Animal Forest, then repurposed for United States as Animal Crossing. Oh. Pokemon Snap was originally designed for this. Pokemon really? Pokemon Stadium was originally designed for this. Resident Evil Zero was supposed to come out on this, and then it was re-released as a GameCube game. Okay. Snatcher. We've talked about Snatcher vaguely. We haven't done an episode on it, but it was one of Kojima's early games 
was supposed to be ported over to this. Street Fighter 3 was supposed to come over to this, and it didn't. Super Mario 64 2, uh, that didn't happen, obviously. that technology eventually I think was rolled into the GameCube Sunshine game. That never really happened. Super Mario RPG 2, um, that became Paper Mario and was released on a cartridge. Well, damn. Ultra Donkey Kong, repurposed as Donkey Kong 64 and put on a cartridge. Ura Zelda, canceled. Then released for the GameCube as Zelda's Master Quest. Nope, not familiar with that one. Master Quest? Yeah, no. That's um, that's the one where it's an Ocarina of Time. Like, it uses the same engine and plot of Ocarina of Time, but there's increased difficulty and in, in di- the dungeons and puzzles were different. Oh, so it was literally... Okay, I thought you were saying there was a separate game Master Quest, not the Master Quest difficulty in Ocarina of Time. Well, well Ura Zelda translates to another Zelda. It was supposed to be another oh. version. It's supposed to be another version of the game that was made specifically for the 64DD, which they basically they called it a second version of Ocarina with rearranged dungeons, but it was delayed, canceled, and then re-released as Master Quest. So... Okay, which I have seen Master Quest. Now they mention it because I actually still have yet to finish the DS version of uh, Ocarina of Time. Well, <laughs> well, they announced. Yeah, they announced. Um... I've had Kiefer's game since he graduated, so five years now. Still holding on to it. I bring it every time I hang out with him. <laughs> hey, at least you. At least you still have it. Oh, of course, man. It's a, that game is a classic. I would never let anything happen to it. Um, Yoshi's Island 64 was re-released on cartridges. Yoshi's Story. Zelda 64, the demo that was running on a disc when they announced it, of course, we already said, came, became Ocarina of Time. And they also had announced a game next to it called Zelda Gaiden, which was repurposed as Majora's Mask. There were a lot of games, more than 60 that were supposed to be released on the 64 DD, but they weren't because it failed. And then people ported them over to, if it didn't come out on 64, uh, some of these games ended up on GameCube, PlayStation, Dreamcast, the PS2. I mean, no joke. Some of them ended up on PS2 or the Xbox. Um, there are games that were delayed long enough that they eventually ended up on the Xbox. So all over the place whole bunch of a whole bunch of stuff here all the fancy features in the 64 dd were used to plan games and like i had said before nintendo wanted to create new games new genre of games they came out and they said nintendo 64 dd is going to let us create new genre of games these of course weren't used in the dd because a lot of these games were canceled um, but they eventually made it in other games, all these fancy features. We'd already talked about the few in the Mario Artist game. The Polygon Mapping Tool. The Polygon Mapping Tool found in the Talent Studio were repurposed as the Me Designer. And the mini games found in the actual Polygon Studio became the idea for WarioWare. The concept of Animal Crossing originated with the 64DD's rewritable storage and the real time clock. 
Um, the real time clock is one of the, the the main things for Animal Crossing, right? It it grows your island grows in real time. We know that that's still a feature of the series. Um, I mean, you mean items on the island grow in real time, right? Not like the island doesn't get bigger. No, but the game plays in real time. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. A lot of the games really do. I mean, I guess I. Now, when I think about it, Pokemon, I can't really say does. They have time based events, but it doesn't really matter like real time. And, Unless well, the new ones do. I haven't played the new ones, so I can't really speak for them. Well, Animal Crossing was one of the earliest games I can remember that happening. You know, I. When Animal Crossing came to the GameCube, wasn't it the GameCube? Mm-hmm. When Animal Crossing came to the, yes, because they they had they they wanted to make it for the sixty four GD, it failed. They adapted it to the Nintendo sixty four as Animal Forest, and then they redid it with cuter aesthetics and released it to the world on the GameCube as Animal Crossing. We talked episode fifty five. That's when we covered it. Go back and check out its history, ladies and gents. When Animal Crossing came out, like. The fact that I had to wait to do things and the fact that like it did special events on holidays. I remember the first time learning about that. It blew my mind because there had never really been a game that when you logged on on Christmas, the game said Merry Christmas and you got special things for Christmas. Like, I don't I don't remember that happening before that, you know. So I don't know. And Rob, turns out you were right. Cabbage, the canceled breeding game became nintendogs damn straight it did yes it did so the nintendo 64 dd might have failed but it spawned lots of other games and ideas that have gone on to be very successful it 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 all this technology trickled down into into staples of nintendo into warioware into animal crossing into the wii um we design concepts you know, the Nintendo 64 DD may have been a failure, but it laid the groundwork. It was basically an experimental platform in which they got all this out of their system and then they refined it to better things that we know and love later on. You know what I mean? It was a failure that led to more success. It was. Well, and that's frankly, that's kind of different about other things we've talked about. Like, what did a virtual boy give you get what I'm saying? Uh, headsets. I mean, what did it give Nintendo, though? Nintendo didn't really take anything away from the Virtual Boy, other than they what took... not to do. Exactly, and you think that's not important? What What else What else have we talked about Nintendo failed on? Games? Like, I don't you, know. Who's... You ask the question, you're digging your hole, you're going you're gonna to fill it. I'm not, I don't have an answer for you. I don't have that kind of memory. I don't even I remember what episode we did last week, Dave. Come on. You expect me to remember all of Nintendo's failures? I can only remember the successes. Soul like the Edge. Pokemon Jets. We did Soul Edge last week. Oh, oh thank you. I, I was... Yeah, I know. Just saying Nintendo does well because they have Jets that are freaking Pokemon. So, I mean, come <laughs> on. Still one of my favorite things from that episode. It's still one of my favorite things overall. Like, <laughs> goddamn. Okay, just imagine chest. just flying in the air, and next thing you know, there's a fucking Pikachu staring at you. <laughs> the fact that that's actually a thing is so great. 
<laughs> oh god damn oh man yeah I, like i said I, I think that this this was a failure that was a little different than the others because like the virtual boy is their other big console failure and it didn't really give them anything it's not like they use that technology elsewhere how they're early Remember, their super early failure was those, they bought all those bowling alleys and they converted them into, like, shooting galleries. And at least from that, they pulled, like, the light gun technology that became the NES Zapper, for instance, you know. But the Virtual Boy didn't really give them anything. Um, And here we have, uh, you know, the groundwork for, hell, Animal Crossing alone would be successful. That's one of the biggest freaking franchises out there you know uh, uh, yeah i guess okay <laughs> i think mean, it's pretty big it's big how big is it how big how big i don't know list of best-selling video games list of best is animal crossing on the list of best-selling video games what do you think how many is on the list it goes down to like 50. The 50, 50 best. Okay, I think with 50, it absolutely will be. 14. Specifically the newest. 14th. It's the 14th best selling game of all time. The newest one? Yes. Or the series nope. overall. Nope, the newest one. Okay. And yeah, I mean, the timing of that release on that could not have been any more perfect. So, of course, it was going to do well. It sold 40 million, a little over 40 million copies. I mean, most people were stuck home. What else were you to do? I mean, is that shit, copies? Is that copies or sales? It might be only. It might be dollar amounts. Forty million dollars. I don't know. It just says sales. Well, sales is a very large thing. So, oh no, this is copies. Oh. Mine. This is copies. Uh, Minecraft is the biggest selling game of all time at two hundred and thirty-eight million copies. Jesus, right? Which and I've still never bought it or played it. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. And Animal Crossing: New Horizons is actually the this the oldest, the newest game in the top fifty. There hasn't been anything that's sold better since then. So, and when was that out? Twenty twenty March of twenty twenty, right in the middle of lockdown. Well, damn, two years and it hasn't been toppled yet. That's quite a feat. Well, Dave, is there anything else fun about the 64 DD? No, not really. That'll be it. Um, you know, it just, it, 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 it belongs in the history for a lot of these other franchises like Animal Crossing. Like I said, we covered that back in episode 55. If you want to go check that out, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardland.com. Also on our website, Rob, what else is on our website? I'm drawing a blank right now calendar of upcoming episodes that's true yeah what else uh there's some bios of you and i yeah true uh there's there's some links to some stuff in there yeah like, like our social media that's right what i think mm. I'm, I'm david is wrong on various platforms where can people find you these days uh well i think we might have to ask yours again because if you're wrong then how could that be correct so I mean, we just create a logical fallacy here that we've never actually talked about before, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, they'll just have to figure that one out. Yeah, well, anyway, I, I can easily be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, ladies and gents, each week we like to t- teach you something about a topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. 
be a game console just needs to be a just needs to be something relevant to the week that this episode's published we hope to teach you something new about it something about the inspiration that took it from the it took from the world or something about the legacy that it gave back to the world one of the coolest things about getting to do this week in week out is that we learn things too so as part of our acknowledgement of that we like to um this is our recap we could we like to share with you so rob what did you learn today well dave i learned that Although I've heard of the 64DD because we've mentioned in passing, I didn't really understand that it was a magnetic attachment, which is kind of cool. Um, and well, also that it was floppy. It's not a magnetic attachment. The, the disk drive is magnetic. Oh, I thought you were saying this boy just slapped on there with some magnets. No, it basically, there was an expansion oh, port. I feel dumb now. That's okay. <laughs> I should have clarified. It had an expansion port on the bottom of the Nintendo 64. So the disk drive went on the bottom and then the Nintendo 64 like plugged down on top of it. So they stacked on top of one another. Oh, so, so very similar to how they did the GBA adapter for the GameCube. Pretty much exactly like that. It gotcha. actually is exactly like that. So. Fair enough. Well, still, I think it's pretty cool to know that it's floppy disk. Um, I mean, it, that's not really a common media form that you think of when you think games, unless you're thinking computer. True. I, I never would have at, at guessed at all that there were floppy disks that were games outside of computing, like a console that used floppy disks. That's just crazy. It was either cartridges or disks. That's all I've ever known for uh, games, like consoles that could be swapped. Yeah, I just I I think they're not. I mean, they're floppy disks. They're and and to be fair, floppy disks was a magnetic storage medium. That's why that term is used. Literally, it magnetizes a spot for a one and demagnetizes it for a zero, and that's how floppy disks store data. Just to be clear, so yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, get how it works, but you know, it it they look like video game cartridges more than they look like floppy drives. Just the way they cased them. Just I mean as a side note, but it is pretty cool. So definitely cool. But it's also very cool to know that even though this was a failed product, so many things that have become huge successes did come from it. Yep. It's kind of cool to know that, you know, even out of a pile of poop, they could make something beautiful. Yeah. And that's probably my biggest takeaway. I had never heard of cabbage, had no clue. It turned into Nintendogs. Didn't know that the artist studio became WarioWare and the me designer. I kind of do remember the background of Animal Forest, Animal Crossing, because we did it. I knew that this is where it came from. But to have it all like in its entirety put in front of you and say, hey, the Nintendo 64 was a failure. But from the ashes rises the phoenix. And here's what we've done. That was kind of cool to put it all together. So that was my favorite part of today. So. Yeah. And that'll that's it. That's the Nintendo 64 DD. That's Nintendo's dynamic drive. Fun, huh? That is actually very fun. Yes, I uh, would not have uh, known there was something something so cool. And uh, definitely, you know, would be one of those things that maybe get to see in a museum or something. But it's pretty dope. Pretty damn dope, Dave. And obviously, with something like this not being very popular around, some of you might be wondering, well, Rob, why didn't you do your reviews? Well, that's because there's not a lot of reviews, or even if there were, there are not a lot of translated reviews, and my Japanese is god-awful. Yeah, also, I didn't, I talked too much. I had a lot of stuff on this one, so. I mean, we all know you like to talk a lot, though, Dave. That is kind of your theme. 
It is very much. I like to talk a lot. I talk a lot. Well, Rob, we did it. Um, before I take it out of here, is there anything you'd like to add to today? Well, Dave, as always, I do want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of our listeners. It means the world to us, and we hope that we bring a small spark of joy to you for some 40 to 50 to sometimes 60 minutes a day a week. A week. week. Yeah, that. So hopefully you enjoy it. And if you do, let us know or not, and hope you keep listening. True statement. All right, on to next week. Rob, I'm kind of excited for next week. It's been something I've wanted to talk about for a while. It's uh, one of my favorite franchises. uh, Something I'm very fond of and remember fondly as a kid. And we've just never gotten a touch base on it yet. Well, why don't you tell us what it is then, Dave? Rob, we're looking at Final Fantasy next week. Ooh. Ooh, Isn't exciting. that cool? Final Hell Fantasy, yeah, it, is. It, it turns like 35. Isn't that nuts? Damn. Yeah, it's got you beat. Thanks, but no. Ha ha ha, gotcha. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, released in what? December 18th, 1987. Next week, we're going to be celebrating 35 years of Final Fantasy. I'm excited. So join us again next week as we fight the fantasy on another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Scooby-doo-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-bop-b